in the morning when you need the news that matters most. We have a constitutional right to publish this story. We are the fourth estate and we will hold the powerful accountable. You need the front page. Wait, what's the fourth estate? Us, the press. And everyone knows that? On the press box. Because I feel like people always say the fourth estate, but they don't actually know what it means. I think everybody knows what it means. I thought the fourth estate was time. That's the fourth dimension. I thought the fourth estate was Georgia. With Graney and Bischoff. No, not state, a state. You thought I was saying we're the state of Georgia? The Steelers beat the Bears 29-27 last night. Our resident referee, Adam Candy, is here. What did you think of the taunting call against Cassius Marsh after his sack of Ben Roethlisberger? I understand how a referee can defend it, and I also understand that it was a pile of horse crap. Um, a special teams player in his eighth season in the league who got called up from the practice squad today gets the biggest sack of the game, takes a few steps toward the other sideline staring at them, says nothing, talks to no players on the field or off the field, then runs back the other way, gets hip-checked by the referee, and has a flag thrown that changes the entire game to ultimately where Chicago loses. So, um, yeah, it was it was a steaming pile of horse crap. Has the new emphasis on taunting given referees too much control or too much to interpret, however you want to look at that? Like, are they asking or being asked to do too much or have too much power over what is and what is not taunting? So let me take you inside the mind of a guy like Tony Carrenti, who is the referee in that spot. Tony Carrenti has been an NFL referee for decades at this point. Tony Carrenti has job security for days. Tony Carrenti does not need to be the guy where he's wondering, oh man, if I don't throw the flag on this, am I going to get dinged by the evaluators? Like, are they going to make it so that I don't get playoffs this year? Or I don't get the Super Bowl this year? No, Tony Carrenti's job is safe. If you're a first year official in the NFL, and you're worried that maybe you're going to be judged harshly because you didn't enforce the taunting rule down to the letter of the law because it's a point of emphasis. Yeah, I get how you maybe get a little overexcited and throw that flag. That right there? Oh, no. Uh, is there any reason Chicago should be excited, despite losing, that Justin Fields actually turned in a somewhat decent game and a go-ahead drive in the final two minutes? Somehow... They should be excited because after this year, Matt Nagy, the head coach, and Ryan Pace, the GM, will be gone. And they will know that it did not destroy Justin Fields to have those two leading him for a year. <laughs> so Justin Fields is going to be just fine. Um, what I want, though, is for the Chicago Bears to keep having really, really terrible performances while Justin Fields does well because the New York Giants own their first round draft pick in 2022. I love that. I very much, it's the uh, the Eagles own the Colts pick and it's uh, contingent upon how many snaps Carson Wentz plays. I There's there's a website that, for Eagles fans that counts how many snaps Carson Wentz plays because he's got to play a certain percentage for them to get the pick. I, I love the idea of watching other teams and be like, yeah, we got your pick. We hope you fail, but specifically when there's some sort of condition like Carson Wentz has to play 75% of the snaps. 
that whole trade made no sense <laughs> from either side in the first place. That's crafty wording right there. I give you credit. Carl <laughs> Anthony Towns hit a near half-court shot to force overtime between the Timberwolves and the Grizzlies last night. The Grizzlies would go on to win in overtime, though. John Morant had 33 points. Adam, I'm curious, how high is John Morant on like you're just fun to watch list in the NBA? I don't know that there's anybody who's clearly above him yeah. right now. I mean, maybe Luca, just because he always looks like the old granddad at the Y <laughs> trying to hang on for one more pickup game, and yet he's destroying everybody while he does it. Um, there's nothing athletic about Luca, and yet he's amazing. But Ja Morant, you talk about how high he is on the fun list. How high is he in the air? Like, every time John Morant jumps, you feel like something amazing is going to happen. He kind of reminds me of, like, early days Russell Westbrook that way. Like, you see a guy like Westbrook young or John Morant now with that head of steam, you're like, oh, man, what's coming next? <laughs> I think the only one I would for sure put ahead of him is Steph Curry, simply because I, hell, he had 50 last night. Steph Curry, to me, is, I think I'm going to end up looking back saying he was the most fun player I've ever watched play the game. But, like, after that, Luke is there. You know, Damian Lillard's up there. I enjoy watching Trey Young. I don't know if you enjoy watching Trey Young. Uh, I enjoy watching Kevin Durant, but he's in that tier, that very top tier of, wow, if you're, like, just paying to watch one guy play or you're tuning in to just watch one guy play, Ja Morant might be it. Yeah, I think Steph Curry probably is at the very top of the list. You're right about that. He's playing a different game of basketball than the other nine guys on the floor. What do you think? Someone that actually is normally fun to watch play, similar to Luka, maybe a more extreme version of the Luka not being athletic part, Nikola Jokic. Um, he body-checked Markeith Morris last night after Morris fouled him around half court to stop a semi-fast break. Uh, but Jokic like body-checked him. Markeith Morris was down for a while. They actually brought the stretcher out. He didn't need it. He got up and, and was able to walk off. What like, I, what the hell was that? Like He j literally just went up and body checked him in the back after a play was over like what what the hell what the hell tyler you talked yesterday about your experience playing basketball did you see what marquise morris did to nicole Jokic before that what the foul did he do something besides just the take foul dude that wasn't a take foul that was a shoulder and elbow into the ribs like that was not just go up and slap the guy on the arm like, that was a really potentially dirty, nasty foul. So, listen, anybody who has ever played a game of pickup basketball knew exactly how Nikola Jokic was feeling. The problem is that Nikola Jokic didn't take two seconds to realize that he was in an NBA game and not somewhere over at the Lifetime Fitness because that hit that he threw on Markeith Morris is going to get him suspended for a couple of games. That being said, do I understand exactly where he was coming from? And does a guy who has played the way Markeith Morris has for his entire time in the league know that that's probably coming after that foul? Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right, I'm curious, the other part of this, on take fouls in general, it is anti-entertainment, right? We're taking away what could be the most exciting part of a game and replacing it with a foul and potentially just a side out or free throws. Do you, is there a solution for take fouls and getting them out of basketball? By the way, there's no way I'm letting you normalize your weird take on getting rid of free throws by just throwing it in there like yeah, that. Yeah, get rid of them. They're boring. You don't want. Don't act like you like to watch free throws. Nobody does. Nobody even watches them. You put your head down and look at Twitter. You want to have an option to score when someone is fouled, correct? 
Yeah, it, it is. In the fairness of the sport, free throws are perfectly fine. They are a just penalty. From an entertainment standpoint, they suck. Cool. So you're a baseball fan, right? Yes. How many of the three hours or three and a half hours of a baseball game do you spend glued to the screen versus looking down at your phone? Very little. It is a great sport to have a second screen up. And that's not okay for basketball, then? No, I, I think your idea of comparing it to baseball is flawed because nobody likes to actually watch baseball glued to the screen. I'm just saying, it's if your idea is, hey, well, baseball's worse, that's not saying much for basketball. It's not to say baseball's worse. It's to say that our sporting experience as a viewer never includes being glued to the screen the whole time. There's no sport where you do that. You can try in hockey, and then, my God, you get an itch. You look back at your shoulder, and you miss the goal. Like... So that is part of the hockey experience. But other sports, it's all built into the game in the first place. You don't need to get rid of free throws. Let's stop right there with that. Next question. A judge has tossed out all charges by Charles Oakley against Madison Square Garden. The judge said yesterday, the video footage conclusively shows the MSG guards giving Oakley ample opportunity to leave the arena. The same video also shows that Oakley ignored the guards' entreaties and re- Uh, repeated attempts to direct him toward the exit. In fact, the video reveals it was Oakley who unilaterally escalated the confrontation, leading to his eventual forcible removal. How are you feeling about Charles Oakley today? Remember earlier when we talked about Andrew Brantz, the former GM of the Packers, and how we could not trust his opinions on Las Vegas or on Aaron Rodgers because he's just too close to the situation with Aaron Rodgers? You're not going to get any sort of rational... (laughs) thought for me when it comes to Charles Oakley like Charles Oakley was the heartbeat of the mid 90s Pat Riley Knicks and Charles Oakley will be sainted by me forever for that then you go ahead and put him up against JD in the straight shot Jimmy Joel Jimmy Dolan come on now I mean that is one where I don't even need to see the details of the confrontation I want to see Charles Oakley go full Nikola Jokic on Dolan's Marquise Morris but James Dolan wins the judge is ruling in favor of James Dolan here yeah dude I know I know so you're not going to get any sort of rational thought from me on this is what I'm saying to you is that I'm always on Charles Oakley's side next question These Celtics have talked to the 76ers about a Ben Simmons trade. According to The Athletic, uh, Jalen Brown would have to be a key piece going back to Philadelphia. On the Celtics' side of this, does it make any sense to you for them to acquire Ben Simmons? At the cost of Jalen Brown? Seriously? How would Brad Stevens not hang up the phone immediately when this idea first comes up. I'm, Jalen Brown this season is averaging 26 points per game. Ben Simmons needs like four games to get that most times. <laughs> Six rebounds as well. I mean, look, I, I get that some of it with Jalen Brown is that, yeah, you're going to have to pay him before long. This guy is averaging 50 and 40. Yeah, he needs to improve his free throws, but I don't think he improved that much with Ben Simmons. Th- that is an insane idea. Um, and if Daryl Morey can pull that off, that, that is some sorcery. Yeah, Daryl Morey has has given a couple of quotes or quotes a couple of times about uh, we're not trading Ben Simmons for role players. We're trying to win a championship now and or the best chance to win one is either to get Ben Simmons back or move him for an actual star player that helps him win that. 
Jalen Brown would probably be that guy. Like Jalen Brown would probably be that piece that you say, oh yeah, that absolutely helps the Sixers win a title. But like you said, if you're the Celtics, I don't, I couldn't comprehend it. Cause even you, you bring up the money side. If you're going to have to pay Jalen Brown, you trade for Ben Simmons, you're paying him now. Like he's, he's making a lot of money right now. So I couldn't, couldn't comprehend that actually happening. So we'll see if anything does, but I would know. And, and also I, I was a little bit off on the contract. Jalen Brown is signed through 2024. So at least there would be some yeah. sort of salary certainty there. Uh, you know, I can't tell you that. New York sportsbooks will pay a 51% tax rate. Um, FanDuel, Ballybet, BetMGM, DraftKings, Rush Street, Caesars, WinBet, Resorts World, and PointsBet are all getting licenses in New York to open sportsbooks. Uh, is the 51% tax rate the biggest takeaway there? Oh, yeah. It's completely insane. And it also was not the worst possible outcome. There was a way this could have been structured where the tax rate would have been 64% on these sports books. If you don't understand what we're talking about, if you are someone out there who has a sports betting account anywhere in Vegas and you're wagering, you realize that 52.4% is what you have to win just to break even because of the juice you pay on every bet. The sports books, on average, hold 5% per month. So if their revenue is essentially 5% per month, and you're having to give half your revenue right off the top to the state, it is very, very difficult to make any money doing that. And why does it matter to you, the better, the consumer? Because you don't get the same markets. They don't offer you the same bets. They're going to offer you only the bets there where they feel really comfortable that they have the ability to make their margins. And also, you're probably going to get worse prices on a lot of the bets that you have. So your minus 110 lines are going to be minus 115 and minus 120, especially on in-play. Is it still simply worth it because it's New York and how big the population is there? You have no choice but to get involved in New York. It's the largest market for sports betting in the country. And so these two, uh, they're two super bids, as we call them. Because these companies that compete with each other everywhere else, DraftKings and FanDuel and BetMGM, they're, those three companies are in the same bid together. Like they went in together to bid on New York sports betting. They're with the Yankees, NYCFC, the Buffalo Sabres, the Yes Network. Like all of these companies are coming together to try to make this profitable because of the tax rate. All right, coming up next, we will take a look at Major League Baseball offseason and how the Yankees are going to sign Justin Verlander. I think it's, it was a dirty play, and then I just needed to protect myself. I'm, I felt it bad, and it's, I'm not supposed to react that way, first of all, to not get thrown out of the game. Uh, so uh, to, uh, I cannot help my team win the game, which is the most important thing. But, uh you know, it happens. I feel bad. Uh, I'm not supposed to react that way, but you know, on the way, I need to protect them somehow myself. If I didn't react that way, it wouldn't be a, even a flagrant foul or whatever. So it was just in a moment of uh, whatever adrenaline, you know, running up and down. You just, it's reaction. According to Joel Sherman, 15 to 20 teams were in to see Justin Verlander. He threw 25 pitches, was between 94 and 97 miles per hour on his velocity. He's going to be 39 next season. He's coming off Tommy John surgery. He's pitched one game in the last two seasons. He does have the qualifying offer from the Astros, which is a one-year deal. That would be $18.4 million. But of those 15 to 20 teams, the New York Yankees 
were one of them. Are you ready for the Yankees to sign Justin Verlander? No. Why not? No, I'm not. <laughs> Would I have been ready for the New York Yankees to acquire Justin Verlander five years ago? Sure. Uh, even though he was still struggling with the Tigers at that point. Uh, he'll be 39 next year, which I realize makes him the shiniest object on the shelf for Brian Cashman, the general manager of the Yankees, because <laughs> if there's a starting pitcher who used to be good, like a Corey Kluber or a Randy Johnson, uh, that's exactly who the Yankees want. They want them to be as old and broken down and useless compared to their old selves as they possibly could be. So I fully assume that Justin Verlander will be wearing pinstripes next year. Would you rather have Kershaw or Verlander next season? Oh, I'm Kershaw by far. Uh, just because of the fact that, yeah, age-wise with Kershaw, I feel like even if Clayton Kershaw doesn't have his best stuff, he'll be okay. We've seen what happens when something goes wrong for Justin Verlander. I mean, that guy was up there rocking a five ERA for the Tigers for two years before he went down to Houston and, you know, got a little bit of that Brent Strom pitching coach juice. That's right. It's good juice. He retired. It's going to be scary now without him. You saw what happened to Garrett Cole a couple of times without it, too. Um, the Athletic wrote a story on the 25 best free agents in baseball, uh, went through 25 guys, listed off how much they that uh, potentially Jim Bowden had potentially their contracts, and also the best fits for each of these top 25 guys. And what I found to be humorous is that of the 25 listed here, 11 of them had the Yankees listed as best fit or one of the best fits and included basically all the shortstops, Seager, Correa, Story, Baez, a bunch of starting pitchers like Justin Verlander, like Carlos Rodon, and then Anthony Rizzo's in there, Starling Marte's in there. Must be nice being a fan of a team that's a best fit for everybody. It truly is. I, I really enjoy it. Although I I do like the Freudian typo in Yes, uh, I, I noticed this too. Yes. That you said best fist for Carlos Correa. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I'm ready to give Carlos Correa a fist for the New York Yankees anytime. Uh first of all, don't say the athletic um wrote this article. Jim Bowden wrote this article. And there's a reason Jim Bowden's not a GM anymore and that he's writing crap articles like this. Uh, Jim Bowden got bounced from ESPN. Now he's with The Athletic. Like, don't believe a word this guy has to say because it's not really anything that's connected to reality. So when I see that 11 of the top 25 free agents are in there as fits for the New York Yankees, I realize that you're just looking at a team with a checkbook and saying, yeah, sure, go for it. All right, so... You have been kind enough. You've done the last six shows here. We've talked quite a bit about Major League Baseball, free agency, what's going to happen. I don't know the next time Ed's just going to be gone for a while, so I don't know when we talk to you next, but I am curious. What's your ideal Yankees offseason? Like, who do you want them to sign? Who do they sign or trade for, whatever, this offseason that you walk away and say, yes, this team is better, this team is a World Series contender, whatever the hell your expectations are? There's a difference between what I want and what Hal Steinbrenner will approve money-wise because we know that Hal Steinbrenner thinks that his Yes Network and uh, giant newish stadium don't make him any money. So what I would like them to do is go and get a guy who is not listed among the 11 top 25 free agent fits. <laughs> I think Robbie Ray is a guy who fits very well for the Yankees. To put another left-handed arm 
into that rotation. I think the changes that Robbie Ray made this year go to show that he's a guy that you could give four or five years to and feel pretty confident that you're going to get good years out of him. Um, I think if you're going to be able to do a shorter contract than a guy like Kevin Gosman, who throws a heavy sinking ball, would work well uh, for the Yankees. And also, if you're going to go get one of those shortstops, I personally prefer Corey Seager, and I know the money it's going to take, and so I don't have a lot of confidence that the Yankees are going to get Corey Seager. But again, another left-handed bat into that lineup, a guy who is probably someone you could pencil in for 30 homers a year uh, for the Yankees pretty easily, who puts a lot of pieces back where they should be in the infield for the Yankees. Now, do I think those things are going to happen necessarily? No, I don't. (laughs) I'm fully preparing to have Justin Verlander on a two-year, $60 million contract (laughs) and four years of Anthony Rizzo when his performance has been declining for the last five anyway. All right. I I am fascinated here because you have Corey Seager and you have Carlos Correa, the top two shortstops in this free agent class, two guys that could both conceivably get 10 years deals, making 300 million or more over the life of those 10 year deals. If it's not the Yankees and it's not the Dodgers, are, are there two teams? Like, do you believe the Mariners, John Heyman had a report. The Mariners are expected to be big spenders. Like the Tigers could do it. Like, do you believe there's two other teams that, would go out and spend that 10, 300 million on both of those guys? I think the problem is the teams that would do it already did, right? If you're the Philadelphia Phillies and you went out and spent that money on Bryce Harper, then yeah, you're, you're not going to do it a second time, right? Uh, I think the team you probably have to look at is the New York Mets. Right? You've got rich guy Steve Cohen, who clearly is willing to spend money. Now, he doesn't have a GM to actually go sign these guys right now. But you have a guy who wants to make a splash, who did sign Francisco Lindor to a massive contract extension. I think you have to look there first and say the Mets are a team that would go out there and do something like this. Yeah, I don't think the Mariners are crazy. Look, they we talked about it yesterday. They gave Robinson Cano $240 million <laughs> to come to Seattle. And that was in 2013. So they were on the fringes of contention this year. So maybe that's a team that does it. And when it comes to signing a pitcher, look, man, If Artie Moreno, the owner of the Angels, does not go out there and sign a pitcher this offseason, we are all caravanning down to Angel Stadium, and we're going to burn the place down to make sure that Mike Trout and Shohei Otani never have to play another game there. He just drafted an entire draft worth of pitchers. They'll all be ready by the time Mike Trout is doing weather on the Weather Channel at age 39. Uh, You know what stat hurt my feelings this week? The Seattle Mariners won two more games than the Atlanta Braves this year. Okay, first of all, I don't know if I believe that based on the stats. Second of all, you don't have feelings. That's fair. Coming up next, Charles McDonald joins the show. I don't know, because the punter was running out, whether the official thought, but he wasn't even looking at the punter. He was looking Looking at at the the sideline. He wasn't looking at the punter. He wasn't talking to the punter. I mean, I understand the respect of the game. Like, he's looking at the bench. You just can't. And he's not he's not talking to the punter there. No, he's definitely not. Nope. Oh my goodness. Joining us now is Charles McDonald. Find his work at For the Win. Follow him on Twitter at Four Verts. All right, Charles, the NFL's taunting rules, do they, do they last the rest of the season? Probably, but I hope not. I mean, this is just I, I, I don't really know like what they were thinking when they thought that this was uh, a good idea. Uh, I, I guess you know the 
the coaches and owners were, you know, I guess their explanation is like, you know, we don't want fights at the games, which is fine, but like, I can't remember too many NFL games like breaking out in the straight out brawls like that happened over uh, touchdowns or interceptions or big plays with, with Thompson that comes after that. Uh, it's horrible. I mean, it just really makes no sense. And I think you've gotten to a point where the referees just have way too much control over the game where now you're trying to get into like the gray area where it's not like straight football rules or something that happens on the field. Like you're trying to legislate emotion, which is uh, a dangerous game to play, whether it's, you know, football game or your relationships or something like that. You know, just, just in, in, in an arena like this, you kind of just want to let people uh, be how they want to be. Uh, and I think when, you know, you, you, you take last night to example where you have this game-changing call, you know, a sack on third and 15, uh, the referee called a questionable taunting penalty, and now, you know, the field get a first down and they kind of get that field goal that really lets them win the game at the end of it because if they didn't have it, they would have needed a touchdown instead of a field goal. So uh, it, it's just way too much power over the game. I I don't really like how the referees can just kind of call it whenever they feel like it. And I, I think that just in general, this is something that needs to be taken out of the game and they really need to do a hard look at themselves at why they put this in in the first place. And specific to this incident, Charles, if you've ever played sports before, if you see the guy who just got signed from the practice squad earlier today coming and hulking up toward your sideline, you're not going to fight him. You don't think it's a taunt. You're laughing at that dude. Like, that's not something that is going to start a fight. That's something that everybody else is probably going, dude, come on. No. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and just like to, to put it in perspective, like for me, like this is how I've been thinking about it. So we're, we're cool with like, all right, you know, I'm going to watch this, you know, safety run full speed into a running back 20 times a game and, you know, produce some plays that, honestly, like, I've, I've played football my entire life, watch football every Sunday. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. But, like, even me, like, I, I look at some of these hits and I cringe. I'm like, oh, man, like, that doesn't feel good. Like, that's something that maybe we should think about, you know, legislating out of the game because that's something that actually hurts someone. But, you know, you're going to ask guys to be super physical and create, like, unpleasant images for us, but, you know, you know, spinning the ball is too far or looking at the opponent's <laughs> sidelines after they make a big sack of the game is too far. It's just kind of weird, like, the points that they've decided to emphasize. Like, all right, this is important to us. This is not. Uh, and I think that taunting is something that really should not be important to football at all because I like taunting. Like, I think it's cool. Like, in the Super Bowl, when you had Antoine Winfield, you know, he got his revenge on Tyreek Hill with the interception, and he throws up the peace sign to him. Like, to me, that's stuff that we should be encouraging because it adds personality to the game. It adds flavor to the game. You get to know the players a little bit more, and I think when, you know, you get to know who these guys are a little bit through their personalities, it kind of humanizes them to a degree, you know, even in a gladiator sport like football. Despite the loss, reason to be optimistic about Justin Fields after last night? Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, if I was... Uh, if, if I was a Bears fan, I would be feeling pretty good. Uh, I mean, you're, you're sitting there, uh, really, there's, there's already a chance that Justin Fields could be, like, one of the better quarterbacks in Bears history, and, like, he hasn't even done anything yet. <laughs> so if you're a Bears fan, what, what, what have you really had to hang your hat on in terms of quarterback play over the past, I don't know, 
40, 50, 60 years, like Jay Cutler, uh, Jim McMahon. And I, I think if you're a Bears fan, anyone that could come out and, like, make plays outside the pocket, inside the pocket, and show, like, a live arm to all parts of the field is, uh, is pretty encouraging. I, you know, and I, I think one part that was impressive for Fields is that, you know, I think even Steelers fans would agree that that game was horrifically officiated uh, in terms of uh, what the Bears were had to fight through and deal with. You know, not even just uh, the taunting calls, but missed roughing the passers, the bogus roughing the passer on Ben Roethlisberger, bad uh, pass interference on Jalen Johnson. I mean, and for him to just kind of say, "All right, look, we got to play the Steelers and the refs tonight, and I'm still going to give you guys a chance to win at the end." Like that's a that's a big deal, and I think it showed a level of playmaking that Bears fans haven't had in a long time. Charles, I start this question by saying doing a power ranking in the NFL right now must be a really perilous exercise because I don't know who's good on any given week, especially after what we saw this past week. Your power rankings up at for the win. You have the Rams at number one after uh, obviously they have the loss to Tennessee. Some fluky things happened in that game. Why do you think the Rams are the best team in the NFL right now? Uh, I just feel like when you look at what they've done this year, and moving forward, a lot of what they've done is just, it's repeatable, you know? Like, when I look at that, that Titans game, you know, that's a, that's a bad loss. And I, I, I don't really think that there's any uh, excuse for that, but you kind of just have to look and see how that happened. Like, we're talking about a team that, you know, the Titans, two weeks in a row, you, you get a pick six, or, you know, you get an interception on the goal line, um, pick six versus the Colts, interception to the one-yard line against the Rams. Then you get a pick six, like I think on the, the drive after, or you know maybe a couple drives before. I don't remember the exact order, but you know you're talking about these plays that are like rare events in football games, and I think it's kind of hard to project like moving forward. Yeah, that was a bad game for the Rams, definitely. Uh, you want to see them perform better, but you have the defense being put in horrible situations. I mean, even a defense with you know Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they're going to get Von Miller back next week probably. If you put them on the one yard line after you know a turnover on first down, they're probably going to give up a touchdown just based on you know where they are on the field. So you know I look at the Rams and I see a team that's been really good at throwing the ball for the most part of the season. Uh, they've been able to run their play action effectively. They can throw deep. They can throw short. Cooper Cup's having a crazy season, and I kind of think that when you look at that Titans game within the perspective of their whole season. It's kind of an outlier performance, and then you can go back and actually watch the game, pinpoint plays, you know, the two pick sixes, uh, some of the other stuff that happened in the game where you're just like, all right, this is a little bit uncharacteristic of this Rams team from what I've seen so far. Uh, and I just kind of like how really sustainable I think their program is moving forward on offense. You know, the, the, the deciding factor for me between, you know, the Chiefs, or not the Chiefs, the Cardinals and the Rams for the top spot uh, was really just uh, when I look at, the Rams, I, I tend to believe that when you are able to make more plays in structure instead of, you know, kind of running around like, you know, a chicken with head cut off like Kyler Murray does sometimes, that's a little bit easier to maintain as you get to play the harder portion of your schedules in playoffs. More importantly, you have the currently in a playoff spot Atlanta Falcons only at 23rd? But look, look, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big Falcons fan, unfortunately, <laughs> and I was, I was, you know, puffing my chest out after they beat that horrific team in New Orleans that doesn't even deserve a name. But they're not, they're not good, man. Like I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and delude myself into thinking this is a good team. I mean, 
they barely scraped by the Giants. Uh, they got blown out earlier to start the season, and they they barely scraped by the Dolphins, and even they, the Jets made a little comeback against them. And I, I think that point differential kind of tells the, the story of the Falcons' season. They're four and four with a minus forty-five point differential. So uh, I don't I don't think that this is a good team, but I will take the wins where they come, especially when it comes at the expense of the Saints. Speaking of my horrendous Giants team that had a win handed to it by the Las Vegas Raiders this past week, uh, the Raiders now 5-3. and three. They had a chance to really grab hold of the AFC West, and now the AFC West is just a mess. Uh, everybody within a half game of each other. How do you think this division ultimately shakes out? Uh, I, you know, I still don't want to just like throw away the Chiefs, even though they clearly are not as good as they have been in years past. I mean, you know... Earlier in the season, at least you could say, well, the defense sucks, but, you know, Mahomes in the past and often like they're still putting up big numbers. But lately, uh, that hasn't even been the case. So, you know, I, I still don't want to throw them away just because we've seen too much good from them in the past three years where, you know, over the past three years, they're basically coming off the best stretch of offensive football in league history. So it's kind of hard to just disassociate completely from that and say, oh, you know, we don't need um, – you know, we're not we're not really gonna we're gonna count Mahomes and Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey out. Like when I hear myself say that, I'm like, I probably should give the Chiefs maybe a little bit more benefit of the doubt, maybe more than they deserve. Uh, but I think it's gonna come down to the Chiefs and Chargers. You know, just the two best quarterbacks uh, in the division. I was really liking what the Raiders had going, but you know, that's just a lot of crap to push through over the past you know two three weeks you know, over the past month, it's, it's a lot. And I, I know that, you know, sometimes when you're in the, the heat of the moment after a game, you'll say, oh, you know, you, we're, we're just going to power through these things that suck and, and get to the next day. But it weighs on you. I mean, you lost your head coach. You lost Henry Ruggs. You lost Damon Arnett. Like, your head coach and your two first-round picks from last year being off the team in a matter of weeks is a, it's a big distraction. So, you know, I'm interested to see how they kind of fight through that. But I uh, – I, I wouldn't really blame them if, you know, the players on the team were like, man, this is a bit more than we signed up for and we might struggle a little bit towards the end of the year. Well, he is Charles McDonald from For the Win. Follow him on Twitter at Four Verge. Charles, as always, we appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I don't know who's going to be the best in the AFC West either. It is, I think the, the word you used was the, was the right one. It's a mess right now where you have five and three, five and three, five and four, five and four, and, uh, Teddy Two Gloves. I want Teddy Two Gloves to win the division, just so we can keep saying Teddy Two Gloves. No problem with me. And that way we can say <laughs> AFC West winning coach Vic Fangio, which will be <laughs> hilarious in its own right. All right, coming up next, we will jump inside the world of college football. As we all all expected, all all saw, mistakes were made. That was the response. Yeah, they made a mistake. And on that call. Yeah, and and others. So they said they made mistakes on other calls? Yes. Okay. Just want to be clear. Can't be any more clear than that. I don't mind us chirping, but uh, little things after the play, like little dirty stuff, you know, not going for it. You know, uh, I'm a man first, and you know, I'm here to play football, and I'm not trying to, you know, I'm not out here trying to fight nobody, but, uh, but I'm not taking no though. So. Adam, how do you think uh, Cofield and company member Adam Hill feels about the Big Ten admitting there were referee mistakes in the Michigan-Michigan State game? I think in his usual measured, 
and <laughs> even-handed tone, he would say that we're all human and fallible, and we need to embrace all Big Ten officials with love. <laughs> okay, I do. I do need to get another uh, referee take out of you. How do you feel about leagues or conferences that come out after a game and say, yes, there were missed calls. Like the NBA has its last two minute report. Some leagues will do it in special instances where it's a close game, a big game and something happens. Like, does that serve a, a, is there, is there any quality to that? Is there any purpose for that? Oh, sure there is. I mean, because you need to show public accountability. It's not necessarily about the apology to the team as it is acknowledging to the public what they saw with their own eyes. And if you're willing to do that as an official, if you're willing to say, yeah, I screwed up, then I think your credibility goes up in the long run. Now, if you're talking about the NBA's last two minutes report, I don't like that one as much just because I don't think picking out an arbitrary time period really makes a whole lot of sense (laughs) because you talk about as a fan that you want to see the same foul that's called in the first minute be called in the last minute. Well, are you sure you want that? Because that's not how most games end up looking to the the average fan all right in the world of college football uh nebraska announced yesterday that scott frost will be back next season but on a restructured contract he was under contract to come back next year um report was that his salary is dropping from five million what he was going to be paid next year down to four million so he's taking a million dollar pay cut but probably the bigger deal for nebraska is that Scott Frost's buyout has been restructured to instead of getting $15 million, he will get $7.5 million if fired. Uh, Frost is 15-27 and 27 at Nebraska. And the same day they announced this restructured contract, Nebraska fired four offensive coaches yesterday, including their offensive coordinator. So you have... Nebraska, a former blue blood of college football. They hired away one of their former players who had been very good at Central Florida as the head coach. He has now been very bad at Nebraska. 15 and 27 in his tenure at Nebraska. Did they not fire him simply because he's a former Nebraska player? They didn't fire him because they would have been on the hook for roughly $20 million had they hi- gotten rid of Scott Frost and hired somebody else. Uh, the biggest thing you have to look at when it comes to the University of Nebraska and a lot of schools in particular that are riding on past glory, who is it that you think is going to fix this thing? Yeah. Because I don't think it's about Scott Frost because Tom Osborne ain't walking through that door and Indomitian Sue ain't walking through that door either. Like, The guys who made Nebraska a big name are gone, and the idea that this is going to be fixed by some savior just feeds into the whole narrative that we have about lionizing college coaches as these godlike saviors. It doesn't exist. That is not the way that it works. And look at Michigan. Michigan is finally, for the first time in umpteen years under John Harbaugh, uh, under Jim Harbaugh, good. They're finally good. And you look at the Michigan and say they've sat through a lot of bad years of Harbaugh to get to this point. Because, again, who is it that you thought was going to come fix it? Yeah, it's it's interesting with Frost because that's, I would venture to guess, what Nebraska fans thought was going to happen. That he was going to be the one 
that would fix it. That he was, look at how great he was with uh, UCF, and now he's coming back home to Nebraska, and he is going to be the one that gets Nebraska back, or at least close to being back, at least not a team that's struggling to go to a bowl game. But what I find fascinating is like, okay, I don't think Nebraska is going to have some coach they hired that gets them back, that gets them to where they're a national power, but they can find somebody that's going to do better than 15 and 27 at Nebraska. Like it's not going to be a blue blood program ever again, but it's not, it shouldn't be 15 and 27 over four. I don't years. know, man. I Are don't you, know. Really? Like, I, 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 Nebraska has fallen a long way. And you think about it, the big 10, the way that it is today, there's not a lot of elite, right? There's Ohio state and nothing in terms of elite, but there's not a lot of terrible. So you've got a lot of programs in there that at least cyclically are going to be able to keep up year in and year out. When you look at Michigan and Michigan state and Iowa and Purdue, like Minnesota, Wisconsin, these are teams that are, that consistently put out a representative product. And I don't know that it's just as simple as saying that you can do that. Now, of course, if you have the money to try to go get one of these coaches, maybe you do. Uh, but I, I just want to bring up this point before we get off this subject, Tyler. If you look at some data that was put together by Axios from 2010 to 2021, there is currently $400 million that has been spent in dead money just on football coaches, <laughs> just on fired football coaches in the Power Five and non-Power Five. It's another $100 million if you add in basketball. Um, it is tough work being a college coach. There's a lot of hours. There's a lot of uh, grinding you've got to do to get to the level of where you're a head coach. But being a fired college football coach is the best job in the country. Well, Tyler, I mean, if you're Urban Meyer, it's all about the grind. <laughs> Adam, there's still 20 seconds left in the segment. I can say it like I never said it before. Uh, you know, look, hey. Pope Urban went to Columbus. He was the man. <laughs> then they take him down to Jacksonville, and he finds out that it's a lot more twerk than he thought. Five, four, three, two.